From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Tyler Felson. This is Podcast in Place, a series about life in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. For many people who have had COVID, it isn't always over once you've recovered from the virus. According to a study from the Penn State College of Medicine, more than half of the 236 million people worldwide who have been diagnosed with COVID-19 will experience what is commonly known as long COVID. It is a syndrome that can affect any age, uh, any ethnicity. There's up to 200 different symptoms that are associated with long COVID. It can last for weeks or it can last for months, and it can even last years. That is Dr. Jeff DeMaine, an allergist and immunologist with the Allergy Asthma Immunology Center of Alaska. In this episode, ATME senior producer Daisy Carter speaks with Dr. DeMaine about long COVID. He breaks down the various lingering symptoms a person can have, how long COVID should be treated, and the role vaccines play. They spoke on July 19, 2022. How do you, as an allergist and immunologist, start working with COVID? Well, as an immunologist, that's really the, the issue with COVID. It is It is an infectious disease, but it's an infectious disease that stimulates a very significant immune response. And the immune response not only plays a very significant role in helping us fight COVID, but it also plays a very significant response in causing more severe disease, including fatalities, including long COVID. Uh, we do feel the immune system, or we call it immune dysregulation, uh, plays a very big role in some of the outcomes of people that have symptoms that go on for months after they've had COVID. And can you kind of explain the difference or like what long COVID is? Well, long COVID is has had a few names. They called it long holer's disease, long COVID. <clears throat> the proper term for it is is post-acute sequelae of COVID, uh, PASC. Uh, so what that is, has been defined initially by the World Health Organization, and that definition has been adopted by the CDC. And that is to have symptoms that occur within the first three months of having the infection that have occurred for more than, when oh, CDC says more than four weeks, and the World Health Organization says more than two months. So that's really the definition of it. Uh, but what it is uh, still remains somewhat of a mystery, and we can certainly talk about that as we go. Uh, but it is a syndrome that can affect any age, uh, any ethnicity. There's up to 200 different symptoms that are associated with long COVID. It can last for weeks or it can last for months, and it can even last years. So there's a multiple system involvement. So it's very hard to really put a real definition to it because it's such a broad condition. And what causes fatigue in one person and shortness of breath in another person and maybe memory and cognitive changes in a third person, you know, that's making it very difficult. We do find that individuals that have a more severe uh, course that maybe wind up hospitalized have a greater risk of long COVID. But we also see long COVID in young people that, have, that were almost asymptomatic. So they may have just felt a little achy and, or had very minor symptoms. Yet, they can go on four weeks after they're finished and done and feeling great. They suddenly may develop fatigue. They may develop lack of energy. They may have problems sleeping. They may have more shortness of breath. So it can, that's what I'm saying. It's such a wide spectrum of how it can occur. 
It, it's becoming a, I think really that's the second wave of the public health emergency. Yeah, that's fascinating. Just hearing you talk and about, you know, how how long COVID, you know, acts differently between like everybody, like it's the same as COVID, but just like it's affecting you more for longer. Mm-hmm. When you look at the percentage of the population, I think that's another important point. There's a big range when you're looking at studies. The lowest that we've seen are studies that suggest as low as 10%. And that's probably more in younger populations. I think it is probably closer to that number. But the the percentages have ranged up to 50%. When you're looking at broad population, uh, probably the more consistent numbers are 30 to 50% of individuals that have had COVID will develop long COVID symptoms. So that is a very significant part of the population that's going to be impacted. And you know, it's, you know, really kind of reported that ultimately all of us are going to have a COVID infection. Uh, the, the new, if you're vaccinated, uh, what's important is you're going to decrease that risk of having it. And if you do have it, you tend to have a milder form of, of the illness. And studies have also shown that people that are vaccinated are much less likely to have long COVID symptoms. In fact, 50 to 80 percent less likely. It's really been depending on the symptoms. So I think that's very important takeaway point. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, hair loss is something simple, but th- that's part of long COVID. And if you've had you've been vaccinated, your likelihood of having hair loss is 88% less likely. So that's a simple thing. But what about shortness of breath, trouble breathing, dyspnea? Well, your risk is 50% less of having that. Fatigue, uh, about 50% less. So again, it it certainly will decrease, the vaccine is important to decrease the potential for long COVID. So I think that's another really important takeaway point. Mm-hmm. And you're mentioning about vaccines. Do you mean just the two doses or the two doses and getting a bo- and getting your boosters? Yeah, that's a, another excellent question because when we look at what is up to date, so to speak, uh, originally we had the two dose primary series. Now that's true. Uh, for most, but there's a group, anyone that has immune compromise, whether they have primary immune deficiency or they're on cancer therapy or they have an illness that makes them more compromised, their, their primary series is three shots. So some it's two, some it's three. And then you're recommended to have that booster. Uh, and once you've had your that booster, you really need another booster four to six months later. So now we're, we're getting boosters at a more regular a regular clip, so to speak. Um, and then in September, that's going to change again. Mm-hmm. So for those of us who have had COVID, the symptoms really vary. How are the symptoms of long COVID different from the typical bound COVID? And what kind of variations are there? Well, I think uh, some of them are very similar to the symptoms people suffer with in when they have COVID. But there are circumstances where people have very mild or either are asymptomatic, no symptoms at all with COVID that can go on to develop long COVID symptoms. So they don't always match up, but you're correct. I think if you had a lot of respiratory problems uh, during COVID or like you developed a secondary pneumonia or you had to be hospitalized and needed some ventilatory support, your probability of continuing to have respiratory symptoms for the next months or beyond are very high. It's maybe 70% chance. So, and if they, your symptoms haven't resolved at six months, 
they they're going to they'll be there in one year and that's what you know so most people if they're going to resolve their symptoms it's within the first three to six months so when you're looking at other you know likelihoods of having those long symptoms is what you're talking about again it's going to some of it does depend on what you suffered with during covid but people describe things like brain fog and, and lack of energy and loss of concentration uh, so you may not have experienced it that much during covid because you're kind of sick, you don't feel good, you're in bed, you're really not doing anything. But then when it's time, to, your illness is over, time to go back to work or back to school, you may find that, gee, I'm not able to concentrate as well as I could. When I'm reading the book, I'm losing my place. I can't stay focused. So sometimes those symptoms don't really reappear until you're out doing things. Maybe you don't know that your energy level is really down until you're out and you're getting on your bicycle to go for a ride. So you're discovering things that maybe you didn't recognize during the COVID illness. Right after my mom got COVID, she experienced a really bad migraine. And now she's concerned about getting migraines in the future. How can someone differentiate from other common things like headaches or fatigue? Well, that's, again, that sort of black box of long COVID. You're right, because people do have symptoms whether they had COVID or not. So if someone has a history of migraines in the past, you know, you certainly COVID may provoke those migraines to occur, and it's likely those migraines will continue. For someone to develop migraines from COVID, I don't know that I call them migraines, but let's call them headaches. So if someone had a bad headache during COVID, and once it's over, the headache's gone away, I think it's pretty likely that your mom won't suffer with migraines going forward, because mm -hmm. I think migraines are really kind of a little different condition. Um, but that COVID has definitely been uh, associated with bringing out underlying conditions. So maybe someone has, they're predisposed to rheumatoid arthritis, but they don't have it, but they're predisposed. There's a family history. Maybe they have the genetic marker for that. Well, if you get COVID, some of those autoimmune conditions can be, we call it exacerbated or brought to the surface. So we've definitely seen autoimmune disease as a result of COVID. So there are some conditions where uh, you may not have recognized the problem before, even things like diabetes. I mean, so there are conditions that may become more, more prominent after you've had COVID. Mm -hmm. So, it, it, but again, it's, it's a very dynamic situation. So it's awfully hard just to put a pin in it and say, yes, you're going to have migraines for life, because I don't think that's true with your mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but what I think was really fascinating was that, um, so she like has never had any sort of headaches. Mm -hmm. And then just one day, she woke up and she said that her head felt like it was going to explode and mm -hmm. that she couldn't talk because just the, the feeling of her teeth wow. clinging together hurt really bad. Um, and she she just like, she couldn't talk, she couldn't like move. Um, and then like she just kept saying that her head hurt. So we just kind of realized like, oh, it might be a migraine. And then we looked up like COVID migraine and we were mm -hmm. like, oh, that's yeah. what it was. But she was already um, she's she is vaccinated and she um, she didn't have a lot of symptoms like when she had COVID. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was just really fascinating. And I just thought like I could bring that up. Well, you, you think about another term for migraine is vascular headache. And we definitely know that uh, COVID will cause uh, inflammation in blood vessels, what was termed vasculitis. So I suspect, you know, that was probably more of a vascular type headache that she experienced. Uh, so the small vessels in particular uh, are involved. 
I mean, some people develop uh, problems on their skin. They may actually have, uh, you know, what looks like bruising. Uh, you know, also, you get lines in the skin called livido reticularis. It looks like lace. So we definitely know that small blood vessels are involved with COVID and triggers that autoimmune inflammatory response in the blood vessels. You can also have what's called microemboli, tiny little clots uh, that can be released. And also it's going to affect tissues and organs in mainly those small vessels where those blood, those blood clots may become lodged. So there's there, certainly when you're dealing with vascular type problems, absolutely associated. In fact, that's one of the areas of research looking at kind of what is long COVID when they're doing biopsies and doing studies trying to determine exactly what is this condition. Uh, evaluation of those blood vessels is definitely part of that, that, uh, that science. Fascinating. I know you've been saying that there's just been like studies done and we don't really know a lot about long COVID, but do you know of any specific people who are getting long COVID and others are not? Is there any tied um, medical prepositions? Yes. Uh, so we talked already about if you had more severe COVID, it's more likely to have long COVID. But what was I found very interesting, there was a study that looked at the genetics of COVID. And in that study, they looked at, 50, if I'm, hopefully I get this right, 5,300 patients that had severe COVID, severe long COVID. And then what they did is looked at about 50,000 that did not. And they wanted to see, was there any type of genetic predisposition for someone to develop more severe COVID and or long COVID? And with a very high degree of probability, they, they identified 16 different gene variants. Now, it doesn't mean mutation. It's a gene variant. Uh, and so in these, when you looked at the probability based on statistics, they had p-values that were incredible. It was less than 0.01 to 10 to the minus 12th power. I mean, that's like 99.9999% that that's real and it's connected. And one, one that I found very interesting, or a couple I found very interesting, you were talking about blood vessels, where there was one of the variables uh, of the variants that was associated with what we call ICAM. And that is one of the ways cells adhere and migrate through blood vessels. Uh, there also was interferon, uh, defects in, or mutations or variants in interferon. And interferon is part of the immune system, the innate immune system that we've associated with long COVID. And then third, if you remember early on, they were looking at or talking about blood, blood type. And blood type has a significant role in whether you're going to have more severe COVID or less severe COVID. And, I, you know, I thought that was just nonsense, <laughs> but I was wrong. So when they did the blood type, uh, these genetics, they found one of the genes is called the FUT2, FUT2. Well, FUT2 is a gene marker associated with the blood types ABO. So it is does appear to be true that if someone has O negative blood or O blood, they're less likely to have more severe COVID and less likely to get infected than somebody who has A or AB blood. So that was really very interesting to me. So that, that even though we're not going around testing people's genetics to see what their risk is, you're saying, what are some of the risks of that? 
I think other risks that are if you have underlying medical conditions, if you have underlying heart conditions, underlying lung disease, uh, if someone's struggling with diabetes or somebody with kidney disease or somebody that's obese, when you look at these different conditions, they're going to be at higher risk for more severe disease and therefore higher risk for long COVID. We talked earlier about how COVID kind of attacks um, the the bloodstream mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, could you break down what's going on in the body when someone is experiencing long COVID? Yeah, that, that's where a lot of the research is. I'll break it down into kind of three categories. I'm just going to call it three hypotheses. Uh, so, and and there is good science, or there are good science to support uh, these uh, these you know hypotheses. One is, I mentioned already, is small micro, micro clots. So we see clotting disorder in more severe COVID. That's certainly something that's seen. But in, in these are, we're talking about people with long COVID, people that have problems that go long beyond uh, the acute illness. So they've identified these micro clots, tiny clots. And so that's kind of part of that inflamed vascular system. Uh, secondly, uh, it, it's looking at dysfunctional immune system. Now, I think dysfunctional immune system is a given. Uh, we certainly see that as a really focal point in people with more severe disease. The virus could be long gone or certainly not a major player, but you've got this immune inflammatory response that has been turned on and it doesn't seem to turn off. And that immune inflammatory response continues uh, long after the illness is over. And then third, is persistent infection. I find that really interesting too. So they, they, there was one study in particular where they looked at 55 individuals that had died. So they're doing autopsies now. And they all had COVID. Now, some of these patients died from COVID. They were associated, the, the COVID was essentially their cause of death or it was the, the primary uh, mechanism of their lung disease or whatever caused their death. But then others, they've, they're already through COVID. You know, they're down the road and maybe six months later they had a heart attack. Uh, so there are those without, COVID, without not having active COVID as their cause of death. Well, what they found was it, measuring the tissues, they were able to identify virus in the tissues. Uh, so there's concern that, you know, could there be, uh, you know, a persistence of, uh, of COVID. Now, there's a study going on now based on an observational paper where they had patients with long COVID and they gave them remdesivir, which is an antiviral drug. Well, these individuals had, were not currently acutely ill any longer. They were in their long COVID stage. You know, their, their, their uh, test, their PCR test was negative. Well, they gave them an antiviral and they got better. So that was just an observation. So now there's a study going on to see, you know, is it possible that there's just small amounts of virus that's living in the, organ, in the organs and that's causing long-term effects. We'll be right back. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. So if you are between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and interested in joining at me, go to alaskateenmedia.org join. 
You can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. Now back to Daisy's interview with Dr. Jeff DeMaine. I am a very anxious person, so when I think of long COVID, and I, because I recently got COVID and I'm, I'm passed through that, and like the idea of having long COVID or like long um, term effects due to having COVID really get me very anxious, especially since I have asthma. Mm-hmm. Now, when I had COVID, um, the asthma didn't really affect my lungs at all. It affected more like my brain, like I had a lot of headaches mm-hmm. and I had like a head cold. And even my ears got plugged, which was really random. So I was just kind of curious, like, why didn't COVID affect me more in my lungs as an asthmatic? It's a really good question. So first of all, when we think about COVID, and we're going to talk, I'm going to kind of talk about two different kinds of COVID. We have the prior, the Delta COVID, and some of the previous ones. Well, for that COVID to bind into your tissues, it needed to bind into two separate receptors the ACE2 receptor, which is angiotensin-converting enzyme receptor, and it also had a bind to what's called the Tempris-2 receptor. So it's a little harder for that virus that wasn't to get in and to cause the infection. That's why we weren't seeing it as contagious. Well, and, that, and Delta tended to have a little more impact on the lungs. Now, Omicron comes along, and one of the variants of Omicron, what's happened is it doesn't need Tempris anymore. All it needs is an ACE2 receptor, and it can get into the cell. And once the virus enters the cell, the virus just takes over the cell. And then the virus, the the cell starts working as the virus's machine, and it starts making more virus to affect other cells. So when we're looking at Omicron, we tend to see it more infectious, and it does tend to affect the upper airways more so than the lower airways. Now, another point, though, is that when you look at where are the ACE2 receptors? So you need those in order to get infected. Well, the ACE2 receptors are, are pretty high in our mucous membranes and our, in, you know, our upper airway. They're very high in the brain. They're very high in the lung tissue, the meaty part of the lung, but they're not high in the tubes. The bronchi, which is where asthma is, is impacting, there really are no ACE2 receptors. So although it can cause lung disease, it's really doing it more in the vascular part of the lung, not the bronchial part of the lung. Uh, So honestly, what we saw early on was that not only did asthmatics not seem to be at greater risk, they seemed to be at lower risk. Statistically, it was lower likelihood of of getting severe COVID. Uh, and so that has to do more with where are those ACE2 receptors. So you had more of a headache, they're probably binding those ACE2 receptors in your brain or certainly in the blood vessels. Uh, but when you're, when you're looking at asthma and other things, there are medications that you use. Now, I don't know if you're on an inhaled steroid or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So early studies showed that inhaled steroids decrease the likelihood of COVID because mm-hmm. ah, they downregulate ACE2 receptors. In fact, they did a study for 90, they looked, did it for 90 days where they took non-asthmatics and put them on inhaled steroid to see if it would reduce the likelihood they would develop COVID. And it decreased the likelihood by 11%. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, so the, the inhaled steroid actually might you know, have a benefit in decreasing the probability of becoming infected with COVID. 
Uh, so it did, it did not become a, a treatment recommendation, but I thought it was an interesting study uh, to show the role, the potential role of inhaled steroids. And that's something that's actually pretty inexpensive compared to all these other things that we're doing. Yeah. Uh, so there are a few reasons why uh, you, your, your asthma did not kick up. That's so fascinating because I, um, in the early days of COVID, my mom, she, anytime that I had to go out, even if I was wearing a mask or even double masking, she would always make me take um, albuterol. Mm -hmm. I have albuterol. Um, and yeah, and when my family got COVID, I was the last one to get sick because I was taking um, albuterol because we were fl flying internationally and that's mm -hmm. how, how we got it. And I took it before I went on the plane and my, my my family got sick, but it took me a couple more days to get sick. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why. It so that's really cool. Could have played a role. It could have played a role. But and you know, so but asthmatics don't seem to have a greater risk of severe disease either. So if you do get sick, it, it you know your risk is certainly no greater than than anyone else your age. That's so interesting because. I usually I'm the one that gets sick in the family. When I was a young kid, I would always be the one to get sick. Um, and we thought that was due to my asthma because I didn't get because I didn't I wasn't treated for asthma until I was like eight or so. So yeah. well, a little side note there, that's and you probably are allergic, I'm going to guess, because about 90 percent of young people with asthma have underlying problem is allergy. So allergy to cats, dogs, pollens, dust. Well, what we see in people that have allergic asthma, which is the vast majority of young people with asthma, is when you see a virus, instead of your immune system activating in what we call a T1 response, which is to fight a virus, releasing interferon, turning on T cells, what happens is your immune system kind of treats that virus like it's an allergen. So instead of fighting it, it says, this must be an allergen. We're going to trigger a T2 response. So we're going to bring in uh, more IgE. We're going to bring in more eosinophils. And you're going to have a runny, more runny nose and more congestion. And by the time your immune system figures out, hey, there's a virus on board, you know, you, you're now sick. Where everybody else, their immune system reacted very quickly and they never even got the cold. Wow. And uh, that is, and it's been shown that if someone, to, in order to develop immune tolerance, the only thing you can really do at this point is do like allergy shots. But if you were to do allergy shots, that paradigm shifts and you go back to the appropriate T1 response because you're, you're turning down that allergen or TH2 response. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I have gotten tested for other allergens and... I am like slightly allergic to pollen, but besides that, like n I'm not allergic to like any like other like pathogens. So I don't know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know we, I don't know if we want to go in depth on my medical record. <laughs> we probably don't. But, uh, to bring it back um, to COVID and to long COVID, um, are the treatments the same for long COVID as COVID? No, not at all. Uh, in fact, you know, with COVID, there's different therapies based on the kind of the progression of the disease. Early on, we use monoclonal antibody or we use a, an antiviral drugs. One is two of them are oral. Uh, Paxlovid is the one that's most commonly used oral. Uh, the remdesivir can be used as an antiviral is IV, but that's three day getting an infusion for three days in a row. Uh, or you can receive monoclonal antibody. Uh, now, as it progresses, 
Uh, Molnupiravir is another one, by the way, that another oral antiviral that you can use. But once someone becomes quite ill uh, or they have to go into the hospital, now they're going to be treated more aggressively with antiviral drugs. Like you said, there's going to be a lot of maintenance on their respiratory tract, uh, hopefully not having to go on a ventilator. Uh, steroids are quite important. You know, they use medications are used like decadon, dexamethasone, uh, because again, remember I was talking about that inflammatory immune response. The key is, is to turn off that inflammatory immune response. So that's as you transition through the inhaled, the, not inhaled, but the intravenous steroids become critical uh, for that, that management. Once someone has completed their course as, uh, as having COVID, then, you know, when you, if you develop long COVID, you know, unfortunately, right now it's predominantly symptomatic care. So if you're having cardiac issues like myocarditis, we're treating that. And if you're having problems with breathing, you know, shortness of breath, we're evaluating it and treating that. So, you know, and, and therapies aren't particularly effective. So if I tried to treat someone with, with shortness of breath with COVID for long COVID, like an asthmatic, that's not going to help them much. Albuterol that you're talking about isn't going to really do very much for them because the problem with, with somebody that comes out of long COVID uh, with shortness of breath, that's more problems in how the, the, the small bronchioles uh, meet with the blood vessels. And it's called in the alveoli, and this is where gas exchange occurs. So most patients that have respiratory symptoms in long COVID, it has to do with their ability to move oxygen and CO2 in and out. So it's more the diffusion, not, not the tubes. We talked about that because mm -hmm. if you do a breathing test, it looks normal. But if you do a diffusion study, not so much. So if somebody has cognitive issues, again, there's, there are tools to work with. A lot of patients um, that I see have what we call autonomic dysregulation. They feel kind of dizzy. They're lightheaded. Their heart rate's going up or their heart rate's going down. If they stand up quickly, they almost feel like they're going to pass out. So you have a lot of these types of symptoms. Um, and, and with that, that autonomic, those autonomic symptoms, we can try sometimes anticholinergics will help. But again, we're really kind of working on what is involved because everybody's a little bit different. But is there a broad therapy for long COVID? No. I think the first and most important thing is to recognize it and validate it. Because some people think, you know, I'm either I'm complaining too much or I'm, you know, I'm not being tough or whatever. The first thing is to say, you got, you've got this. This is what you have. And you, we, you know, you validate that they, do, they are having problems. That's step number one. Then you start teasing out where are those problems and you want to make do proper evaluation on each one of those. And then very likely there may be two or three organ systems involved. So you may be working with a team of two or three healthcare professionals. So, and then it's going to be designing uh, therapy for you. So we, we, you can work with physical therapy, for example. That can be helpful. Uh, working with psychology can be helpful because if someone's having issues with, with uh, cognitive disorder uh, or they're having sleep issues, I mean, we've got to work with that. You want to, you've got to be able to re recover that because rest is really important. Exercise, proper guidance for exercise. We call it an energy envelope. So we don't. if somebody has long COVID, you can't go out there and sweat it out. You can't go for a run and just push through it. 
because if you push too hard, you're going to set yourself back. So we talk about energy envelope. You, do, you don't push hard. You reach a point where, you're, okay, you're feeling it, stop. And you can gradually step that up, you know, you know, day by day or week by week. But you cannot just push through it. So it's not the time to be tough. So it's truly good diet, drinking lots of fluids. I recommend a, a, like a sports drink uh, every day. Now, you don't need the sugar, uh, so try to use something without sugar. But a sport, regular sports drink, you know, without caffeine, drink that once a day because that really helps the electrolytes. Uh, rest is really critical. You would like to see at least eight hours of sleep every night. So that's going to be important. So you want to recover that sleep hygiene. So really, you're looking at trying to get life back on the best track you can. And then there are exercises for cognition, for being able to have improved memory, to be able to concentrate. So there are literally, you can go online and there are, uh, there are little tools that you can use to kind of repetitively relearn that. Uh, and that can be also managed through occupational therapy. So in, if, you were, if we were in a large metropolitan area, we would probably have a COVID center where all these specialties are there together. Well, we really don't have that here. You know, we're, you know, in a sense, you know, we're, we, it's a little bit fragmented, but we all work together. You know, believe me, you know, I work with most every doctor in the state. So we certainly collaborate, but it's not quite the same as walking into a center and, you know, having all these specialties right there at your hands. So it, the, the back to really kind of come down to the bottom line, we don't have a one size fits all treatment. It's going to be very individualized. Uh, and sometimes someone does need to go to that specialty center. And so we'll send them to that specialty center. Um, there's some, some studies looking at uh, vitamins, you know, different types of vitamins to take. Most of them are water-soluble. Uh, there's a study done at University of New Mexico that put together a list of about six vitamins, and they found, at least in their observation, that it was about a 30% improvement. But for most patients, most patients, especially young people, after a period of three months to six months, those symptoms are going to be gone. That's the good news. Yeah. I know we talked a little bit earlier about um, vaccinations and, and its role in um, treating long COVID, but could you kind of go in depth about what role vaccinations play in long COVID? Well, we, there was, again, I'm, I'm going back to a study. And one of the questions was, if somebody, uh, if somebody has long COVID, could you give them a vaccine? That's step one, because now we're learning that if you've had, uh, if you if, if if you've had the vaccine, it's going to decrease the risk. But now we're looking at what if somebody had the virus, and the virus is not as protective as it used to be. It used to be you'd have, you know, 90, 90 days up to six months of immune protection. That's not true. You can get reinfected in, you know, a couple of months. So what's the role of giving the vaccine in somebody that had long COVID? Well, the study was done. And the question was, will it make symptoms worse or will it improve? Or, uh, you know, will it, will it do nothing? Well, what we did, what was reported is that it did not make symptoms worse. That was the first step. And secondly, it showed that it decreased or improved the recovery from long COVID. So it does have a role potentially in decreasing that risk. Well, third, 
you know, it also is going to dramatically decrease your risk of getting COVID again, because the best immunity you can have is to have had COVID and get the vaccine. That, that combination is going to be the best. So we do feel that the vaccine is, uh, is warranted uh, when someone's had it. It may be helpful in getting them through long COVID. It won't be hurtful, uh, but, it, but certainly it'll provide long-term protection going forward. COVID has caused the deaths of over a million people in the U.S. alone mm -hmm. throughout the pandemic and countless more hospitalizations. For those experiencing long COVID, are there still any risk of severe illness or death, or is it more of just a slow down the mountain walk? I just reviewed a study today, <laughs> and what it did, it looked at, it was a car, it was looking at heart disease, different types of heart disease. So they took individuals that uh, did not have heart disease, some that did not have heart disease prior and they took some that did have, and it was a large study, very big study in the thousands. And what they did is they looked at the, more, the likelihood over the following year that somebody would have a cardiac complication or somebody that would die from heart disease. So they were looking at heart disease. And what it showed is that there was a, the, the risk of somebody having a severe downstream event, like a heart attack, is probably two or three times higher than if somebody didn't have long COVID. So it did show that they're, that downstream, I think you're right, it's kind of a slow walk down the mountain, but unfortunately I think there are gonna be some people that are gonna trip on a rock along the way. You know, so fortunately I think that's not the majority of patients, but still the risk is a little bit higher that you know they could have an event uh, over the next year that they may not have had a, had if they had not had COVID. And again, kind of back to that microvascular, the micro, the small clots and microvascular disease. I think that plays a role because you're talking about you know heart, the arteries in the heart, the coronary arteries. I think I think that's where that plays in. Mm -hmm. These past two years, many people have been feeling hopeless and restless. I know your mental health can have a big effect on your physical well-being. What should people who are experiencing long COVID do to stay healthy and keep their spirits up? I personally think one of the most important things is acknowledging that you have it. The second most important thing is to kind of create a sense of wellness around you. That means decrease the recreational products, increase water consumption, and eat well-balanced food. And I think one of the most important, in my opinion, is exercise. So I think I think getting out and getting into a, not overworking it, but I think getting out, getting outside, trying to, to bring in exercise, limited exercise, energy envelope, but get out and do something. I think the worst thing you can do is sit around and you know, watch television or play video games. I think you need to, you really need to get out and sort of embrace life. I think that's good for your mental health. Uh, and and uh, so I think really think about wellness. Also, it's important to connect, connect with friends, connect with family, uh, stay connected. You know, we've kind of spent two and a half years, you know, huddled. I'd like to see people more connected. You know, I don't think we're at a point now where we need to have 12 people in a in a room without masks unless they're part of your bubble. Uh, but I think we're at a point where we can have more interaction. But, you know, again, 
preferably outside and engage in exercise. So I think that I think it's going to be just a matter of think about some of the principles of wellness. And it, what's been mentioned over and over again in literature is sleep. Sleep is really important. And there's about 24% of patients with long COVID that actually struggle with true insomnia. They can't sleep and they need, they need medical help because sleep is, is very important. Sleep is rejuvenating. That's how the body heals. And uh, so, again, sitting up, watching TV till 3 in the morning or playing video games till 3 in the morning is not healthy. You know, have your video game time, but not, before, not during bed. You know, you want to be able to have a nice routine in order to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. That isn't something I need to work on. Is <laughs> going to sleep um, on time and getting those eight hours of sleep. I think that's just a, a big problem that young people and young adults have is just getting enough sleep. Well, I know we talked about a lot of things in this interview, um, but is there anything else you wanted to add or something that we didn't touch on that you would like to talk about? Well, I, yeah, I think I'd like to reach out to some of your 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 listeners uh, that still have questions, uh, that still have concerns, that maybe have mistrust of the medical system, and you know maybe reassure them that there's nobody out to get anybody. You know, there's nobody. You know, I don't I don't have any benefit in giving someone a vaccine personally, other than the satisfaction that I'm helping someone. So if you have questions, reach out to some level of healthcare professional. You know, if you you're if you have a nurse that you're close with or is your neighbor, reach out to the nurse. Reach out to one of the healthcare providers, like a PA or nurse practitioner. Go to your pediatrician or your family practice doc. Have those questions. Go go to someone that can really answer the questions that you have, rather than you know you got to be careful going online. You know, there's there's so much misinformation online. And it's frightening. So I would recommend those with questions seek answers, seek independent answers rather than, you know, then hold them in and, and just decide I'm just not going to have any part of it. So I think communication is maybe one of the single most important for those that, uh, you know, have worked with, uh, have kind of gone through it, received the vaccines, go to your friends, you know, that are struggling and just say, you know, it really wasn't so bad. My arm was sore for a day or two and I had a little headache, but other than that, I'm fine. So I think vaccines are going to continue to be important. I think vaccines are the way out of this pandemic. I still am a strong believer in that. So uh, those that have been uh, had concerns about mRNA vaccines, you've got a, another one coming in this September for you. And, uh, but but we, there, there are plenty of people here that are open for you to reach out to. You can actually actually contact the Department of Health and Social Services, I guarantee you, you'll get a phone call back uh, just for someone to help you. Well, that's very sweet. And thank you. Um, thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking about long COVID and COVID. And, um, and yeah. Just well, thank you. well, Daisy, it was surely my pleasure. You're a wonderful interviewer. You've got phenomenal insights. I think you're going to be a great journalist. Thank you very much, <laughs> doctor. That was At Me Senior Producer Daisy Carter speaking with Dr. Jeff DeMaine. In our next episode, we'll have more on long COVID. We'll be talking with Wendy Williams, a school nurse consultant with the State Health Department, about how long COVID is affecting students across Alaska and how health and education officials are preparing to support them. 
You've been listening to Podcast in Place from Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost with additional music from Kendrick Whiteman. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people, whose land we work on. Many thanks to the supporters of our podcast, including the CDC Foundation Arts and Vaccine Confidence Project. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of our funders. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like AtMe. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateenmedia.org. There you can learn more about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, or find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Tyler Felson. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.